You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Jim Lauderback, GM and SVP of VidCon at Viacom. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's good to be back. It's good to be sitting here chatting with you. Yeah, you are our uh, second ever repeat uh, guest here on All Things Video. So, so very you're, so, you're, you're, you're telling me I'm only second good. Who was the first? <laughs> so Phil Ranta was okay, kind enough right. to, to gracious, great, you know, grace us with his presence again. Phil was the third guest ever on the show back when I was starting this thing in 2015. So wow. we got him back on five years later to, to kind of share all the updates in his life. And now I think it's been a little over two, two and a half years since we chatted. So fun to get a chance to hang out again. Nice to be back. I mean, if you do it for five years, I mean, that's, that's a lot of episodes. Big time. So, yeah. so for those of you who don't know all about Jim's background, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. I absolutely encourage you to go back and listen to our first conversation, January 9th, 2019. Um, today, we're just going to hang out. It's a Friday afternoon. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in the digital media space. So to start things to off, yeah, <laughs> maybe for those who aren't familiar, give us, you know, the two minute intro on, you know, who is the artist formerly known as Jim Lauderback. Sure. Yeah. So I um, now run this series of online video conferences, conventions, summits, whatever, festivals called VidCon. Um, started in the US. It's now around the world. We've got probably five global events we'll do this year, uh, all things willing. Before that, ran an uh, early online video MCN called Revision 3, one of the first. We were actually predated the big YouTube extravaganza. I think we started around the same time YouTube did. Uh, and then sold that to Discovery. So um, got to work at Discovery a little bit uh, in the sort of early part of the last decade. And um, before that, uh, worked in television, was editor-in-chief of PC Magazine. I'm actually a real geek. I kind of fell into media. So um, I'd be just as happy building my computer as, you know, thinking deep thoughts about the online video world. But that's where we are. Nice. And your uh, experience with VidCon came very early, right? I think you were at the first event they ever held here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I was running uh, Revision 3, this online video network, MCN, and I you know, knew Hank and John Green, the founders of VidCon, uh, a little bit. And um, you know, we were building up our base of new YouTubers who were techie, geeky, kind of doing cool stuff. And Hank wouldn't come be part of Revision 3, but he did invite me to come and speak at the first VidCon, and, uh, and we ended up sponsoring it too. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't have quite as many VidCons under my belt. I think I'm approaching, you know, seven or, or eight years maybe, but uh, definitely has a long history. And it's been cool to see how much the event has evolved and changed over the years. There we go. Look at that. This is the first guide. It says, I don't know if you can see that, but it says VidCon. It's before it was VidCon 1, right? Yeah. It was just VidCon. Just the VidCon. Yeah, yeah. very cool. And it's it's kind of grown in scope. It used to be, you know, in a small ballroom here in LA, really kind of that those video insiders. Now it's brands, it's creators, there's a community track, it's, you know, all the fans and their parents who get dragged along, right? It's this amazing, I kind of describe it to people as like a family reunion. That's how it feels to me now is you look forward to this big event every year, where you're going to get to see all of the amazing people and personalities that make up this magical online video ecosystem. Yeah, and the best events are communities that you build and that you're so happy to go back every year, whether, you know, it feels like a reunion or, or whatever. And it's so funny because, you know, you and I, I mean, you're in, you're in Southern California, I'm in Northern California, so much of the industry is in Southern California, but I still hear from people who go to VidCon like, I haven't seen you for a year, even though we live a mile away. <laughs> exactly. uh, and, but, but, but we're all so busy that that's why, you know, it's so much fun. It's kind of like 
back in sort of the tech areas when I, you know, and, um, in the 10 years ago or so, we would all go to South by Southwest and it was very much of this, you know, if you were in San Francisco where I live, all of the cool kids and the investors and people building Twitter and all these things would, would show up. And for a few years, that was definitely the community for that. Well, VidCon is really the community for the online video community-led media industry. Yeah, big time. I remember, you know, my history feels like a lifetime ago, but I used to work in ad tech and um, I would go to CES and South by, and those were a lot of fun, but I guess at a certain point, they started to feel like they got a little watered down. They got too big. They lost that community aspect. It was just, you know, kind of another dog and pony show for big brands to unveil announcements. And it lost that sense of community that I think is so important for these types of events. Yeah, I agree. And I think what we see with online video is it's moving so quickly uh, and it's changing so much, but that the people who've been involved with it for a long time are, because they got in it early, are naturally ones that will move quickly to adapt to where things go. So, you know, you, I think, and, and a lot of the people in the community, Phil and other people that uh, have been there for a long time, continually adapting to the changes in the industry. And that's what makes it such a dynamic community. It's like, not like we're all just stuck where we were 15 years ago with technology, we're all adapting and, and continue to drive this incredibly exciting area. Yeah, speaking of, right, you've uh, were thrown a curveball these last, you know, 12 plus months dealing with the COVID pandemic, right? And so VidCon was staged to expand its international portfolio, you know, launching events in Abu Dhabi, um, Mexico City, you know, other, other places. And a lot of that had to get delayed and, and you brought events online for the first time, kind of bringing this virtual experience to life. What was that transition like for you? And, and how has VidCon now, the virtual uh, online experience, been over the last 12 months? Well, it, um, in my career, I've been through a couple of digital transitions. I was at magazines when the web came out. Uh, I've you know, been in television, um, I've worked a little bit in the online radio world. So I looked at it, I was like, oh, it's just another digital transition. We're going to take these people that know how to do analog things, face-to-face -face events, and turn them into producers of digital things, you know, digital events, hybrid, whatever you want to call them. And so I, I make it sound like it's easy. It's not. Any kind of those transitions are hard. They're scary. You know, pain in the backdrop of this disease that we had no idea what it was 12 months ago and was ravaging and people were dying and we couldn't leave our house. And it was, it was scary stuff. And so in the backdrop of that, we realized that our fans, our attendees, who couldn't come to VidCon, who were locked down, who were just as freaked out as we were, we wanted to make sure we brought VidCon to them wherever they were. And rather than, you know, doing what a lot of people do in a digital transition, whereas they just take the analog thing and shove it into the digital wrapper and say, we're done. You know, we could have taken three days and done a hundred Zoom calls and called it a year. But instead we realized that we were in it for the long term. The virus was in it for the long term. And in fact, the way you want to do things online as an event required a long-term approach. So over the summer, we said, we're not going to just do one thing for a couple of days. Every week we did 10, 12, 14 sessions that appeal to each of the distinct audience segments that we reach, fans and creators and the industry. And it worked out. It was amazing. I mean, we originally thought we would do it and, and we did it on sort of US time zone and US times. We ended up with people from 140 different countries. Wow. Yeah, people would be like, yeah, I've been up for five hours. You know, it's like <laughs> two in the morning and I really, really want to see this person speak. And so it was just, the reaction was amazing. And we were really able to deliver an incredible VidCon experience 
that felt native to digital rather than one that was just sort of bolted on from an analog background. Yeah. And you had the Discord servers, right? Other ways of bringing this online engagement so people could connect in ways that weren't really possible before, right? IRL gives you a lot of those spontaneous opportunities to connect and you found ways to replicate that online. Yeah, we built a 24 seven community on Discord for people who wanted to connect with other people who were VidCon fans or creators anytime they wanted to. And there, were, it was interesting because we leaned into things that you could only do in digital like that. But we also looked at things that I didn't even think you could do in digital that ended up working out pretty well, like meet and greets, right? I mean, a meet and greet is a, it's an emotional thing for a fan to meet a creator face to face, get a hug, get a selfie, have a, have a, you know, a real personal connection to that creator. And digitally, you, you know, I, you and I are having a, a real connection, but I'm not right next to you. Um, it's not like we can hug or we can clink our glasses or, you know, you know, whatever. And, but we found some, some, uh, software, an app called Chattelize that actually gave you a lot of what you want in a meet and greet, which is to be able to connect, to be able to have a tangible instantiation of that connection in this case, a photo or a video that you could share and show the world how much you loved this creator and this community you were part of one of the most interesting, successful parts of what we did. And now we're seeing even other new ways to sort of trade on that connection that people have with their creators uh, and give them something that feels like it's an authentic token of the connection that you have, but isn't you sharing the same physical space and the fans like it and there's value in it. And so I, I'm fascinated by the things that we didn't think we could do that we did end up doing and we have a lot to learn, a lot more to do. There are a lot of things we wanted to do that just we haven't really done a great job of yet. I don't think anybody has. But um, being able to lean into those things and being flexible was a big part of what we did and what we learned. Very cool. Yeah, it seems like services like Cameo have paved the way for fans to embrace those types of experiences, right? Like now I can have a direct connection with this creator that I love and it's facilitated through video or through some online you know, communication. Yeah, and and we're you know the thing that we that we are focused on in in connections between creators and their audience um, because it is such a and um, if we had something to drink we would drink when I say this word authentic thing um, it, it it's so real it's so real to the to the fans and the best creators it's very real to them too that connection they know that the fans are the ones who got them there right that they were. You know that they wouldn't exist without all of those create their community rallying around them because there's no, nobody's making that for them they're making it themselves so as it gets too transactional it starts to i think just kind of it just depreciates the value of that connection so there's that balance between the transactional side and the real side and so we're always thinking about not wanting to go over that line it was another thing that was very important to us that it feel more sort of normal. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of getting back to normal a little bit, I think you guys have some big news to share around when we can finally expect some awesome in-person events again. Yeah, so we are doing in-person VidCons this fall. Um, we're this week announced announcing uh, that we will be doing VidCon in LA and Anaheim again at the Anaheim Convention Center. For those of you who've been there before, come back. Uh, we're doing it the um, 21st to the 24th of October, which will be a blast. 
Um, anybody who's been to VidCon in July, well, it can get hot in Anaheim oh, in the yeah. summer sometimes. I like the idea of a late October Anaheim kind of, you know, shorts during the day, sweaters at night kind of experience. I think it's going to be really fun. Awesome. And yeah. So we're looking forward to that. So um, see y'all there. It'll be a great VidCon. We're doing probably like we did did a thing in the summer called the prom. It was a dance we did. I don't know if we're going to be able to do the prom this year. We might do a homecoming or something. I don't know. Um, but it'll it'll be all VidCon. It'll feel like a VidCon. It'll be a great experience. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe experience as well. Um, and also making it so that if you can't come for time, distance, health, or money reasons, there's a digital version that will allow you to at least participate in some of it and lean into those things that make digital strong. Very excited about all of that. That's amazing. Well, I can't wait to get back to IRL VidCon, but also have it be augmented now with the VidCon Now experience. That's awesome to see that the two are getting blended together in a, in a you know, perfect uh, you know, alternative for those who maybe aren't able to attend, like you mentioned. Well, I also want to invite you to our other VidCons that we're doing. Um, I know uh, we work a lot on Mexico together. And yeah. um, Mexico is currently slated for November as well. Um, uh, not as well, because that was the first November one that I mentioned. Um, but it's November, and we'll be going to Abu Dhabi finally. We've been working on this for what feels like years. It has been years. Uh, in December. So Fantastic. Um, it's going to be you a busy, particularly uh, what's that? It's going to be a busy fall for you, huh? Yeah, well, I hope you come to all of them. So I would love um, to. I'll be there. The one in Abu Dhabi is the weekend before Formula One. So I don't know if you're a race car fan. Um, you used but, to watch Formula One in Singapore. Yeah. Okay. So this is the end of the Formula One. Um, they always, I guess, I don't know it that well, but they sure. end the each year's races, or I think they end them in Abu Dhabi. So Singapore is like September and Abu uh -huh. Dhabi's, you know, later. So this is the last one of the circuit. That's I believe. awesome. And That's exciting. Yeah. So come on out for VidCon and um, we'll be, uh, I, I hope we'll be going to the Formula One afterwards. Catch the race. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah. sounds like a blast. Very cool. Well, Jim, given this, the chance to have you here, I thought, you know, I'd twist your arm and talk to you a little bit about everything that's going on in the creator economy these days. So what are the things that, you know, have been happening the past few weeks that you're following or you're most excited about? So one of the things I think which we've all been sort of thinking about and following is the rise of audio only platforms, mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating. Uh, we're actually doing something Friday this week, um, starting at 9am California time till about 1130. That's sort of a, you know, like a two and a half hour deep dive on the future of these audio platforms, what it looks like, what's there. I know we've been spending a lot of time on Clubhouse. Um, there's Fireside, there's we've got four new platforms, some new, newer than others that we're going to be highlighting. Um, sorry about that. No worries. Uh, gonna hang up on that person. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've got, um, we've got that I've got, uh, like, Lee Jin and I are gonna have a conversation at the beginning of it talking about the future of and where these platforms are going and why audio why now. So I think that's super fascinating. I also have you been spending a lot of time on audio platforms. I have been um, off and on. I've been spending time on uh, Clubhouse, um, spending time on Fireside, which I think is pretty interesting. What Although, do you think? I like it so far. Um, I, I, it's it's early, yeah. um, but I do like, you know, look, they're they're very different and they have different spaces. Like Clubhouse is um, a little bit of a free for all, where Fireside feels a little bit more self-directed, hmm. which is great. Or, you know, is a little bit more programmed, not completely programmed, but uh, I think 
Um, you know, and look, there's there's so many interesting angles and ways like capiche.io is also doing some really interesting things around, you know, hop on the phone and do it and, um, and, and spoon. And so, I don't know, what do you think? What do you think about the platforms that you've been playing with? Yeah, mostly Clubhouse, to be honest. I haven't done Twitter spaces or I know there was one that just raised a big round this week or last week um, focused on not having to interact with audio at the same time, but being able to, you know, I could share a snippet and then you could respond to it thread later on. So the asynchronicity of that is, is interesting. You know, I like Clubhouse for the live element and the spontaneity of it. It's awesome to see that they're leaning into a creator program and they're going to, you know, encourage diverse voices on the platform. That's been awesome to see from the beginning. Um, but, you know, I'm curious, you know, what the staying power is maybe after the pandemic ebbs a little bit. Like, is the audio boom driven by the fact that we're all tired of being on Zoom every day? And so this is a nice alternative or is this kind of a new format that people will slot into their, their social media consumption? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm actually going to ask Lee that on Friday uh, yeah. and see what she says. Uh, I, you know, the thing that strikes me most that I think is interesting, which somebody wrote, this is not a, you know, this is not my original thought, but the idea that you take TikTok, which gets to know you and gets to know the, your content graph and understands what you like and what you don't like mm -hmm. and feeds you a continuous set of things you know, and eventually learns like it's going to keep you and keep feeding you things that you're going to like for a long time. I think that's where everything's going, right? Audio, yep. certainly music, video, everything is just going to be algorithmically driven, um, not as much search oriented. It's going to be, okay, this is the pattern of the type of content you consume. Here are some other things we think you'll like. Yeah, I think, and and I'm, I'm not sure everything's going to go that way, but I think it is an interesting model that we'll see more and more I think we don't have that in audio. So you think about it, you're getting in your car to drive or you're cooking dinner or something like that. Feed me as audio, get to know what I like. And if I don't like it, if I just go like this, go to the next one. I'm like, yeah, go like this. So it's a, you know, maybe more of a, you know, a physical motion that you can sense that will move you from one video to another rather than swiping your, oh, that's your phone. Yeah, but, but think about it in the car, right? I mean, just feed me things I want. Totally. Yeah, um, discover new music, but maybe my Spotify Discover Weekly shouldn't be, um, you know, d determined and, and fed up to me in a shuffle. Maybe that just happens all the time. I don't have to put on a playlist. It can just sense that. Or maybe we could use, did you see the new Facebook uh, wristbands? For yeah, AR yep, yep. I'm thinking yeah, uh, cool. maybe there's more of this haptic technology that can be used for those applications. I feel like Wonder Woman. Ha! <laughs> Give me a new channel. Give me a new channel. Totally. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting, you talked about um, an asynchronous audio. I've been playing with an asynchronous video platform called HiHo that's also really interesting. I haven't I, heard of that. Uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about it, so I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, okay. it's sort of like Reddit for video. It's really interesting. Um, I like it. Uh, the, trouble, the trouble with all these platforms, I hate to say this, because um, I'm, you know, one of the magazines I ran um, back in my magazine days was Windows Sources. I was editor-in-chief of Windows Sources and PC Magazine, so I'm kind of a PC geek. I'm also, which means I'm less of an Apple geek, so I'm an Android user. All these new platforms are coming out on, you know, in beta on the iOS platform. So ah. um, I, I don't have an iPhone, but I have an iPad, so they're all on my iPad. But they're all designed to carry around with you and use them, you know. Uh, and so, like, I've got Dispo on my iPad, and I'm like, well... No, I don't really take it around to take photos everywhere. <laughs> yeah. so I got all these like fake looking canned photos around my house because I really want to play with that platform. Too. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Um, one of the things I've been following is the explosive rise of uh, NFTs, right? This whole non-fungible token craze. We have to talk about it, right? So what is, uh, what's your perspective on it? 
Um, well, uh, I think I think it, it makes sense. I mean, I think Mark Cuban said it, and I agree, is that anything people will pay money for is something that's valuable, right? Value is what people want. And, you know, look, I'm going to, I will, I, I did this before explaining it to somebody else, but if you look back over here, this. Yeah, you're pointing to a comic strip. Comic, that's an original yeah. Pearls from Swine, right? Wow. So awesome. I, I was lucky enough to get one. It just happened to show up. It was in the right place, right time. Now, wait. Fill the air while I leave for a minute. Okay. <laughs> Jim is going to bounce off screen to show us something fantastic. All right, so this is back. This okay. is this is a print oh, wow. yeah. signed by the author, right? But it's still a print. This is worth 25 bucks. Uh-huh. That's worth, I don't know, thousand bucks, maybe more. Who knows? Wow. Because that's the only one. That's yeah, the original. Sure. Yep. But this kind of looks like that, right? Yeah. Like even if you put them side by side, you'd be like, well, you know, you do get things on there like where the artists erased it and put their blue lines uh -huh. in it, things like that. But, you know, just as something on my wall, you wouldn't know the difference. Sure. I know the difference. It means something to me. Yep. So if I have the original Nyan Cat, it means something to me, right? Yeah. And it and there's value there. I'm not sure it's $600,000 or whatever worth of uh -huh. value. There, there's value there. Yeah. But, so I, I think it's cool. I think it's good, um, you know, some people like to collect things and people collect different sorts of things that mean something to them. Mm -hmm. And there, if there's meaning and there's value, I'm all for it. Um, sure. But uh, I don't know, what do you think? I'll ask you what you think and then- No, it's fair. I, you know, I, I should do more to educate myself and I would love to listen in. Some people have had a few different events recently and I, I would like to tune in to, to learn from the experts. But I think one of the honest and fair critiques I've heard so far is the cost of generating these things, right? The, um, uh, you know, the, the energy cost that it takes to mine cryptocurrency and or create these types of non-fungible tokens is very high. And a lot of that electricity still comes from non-renewable sources. So I think there is a fair kind of environmental critique against this um, you know, trend towards creating digital art pieces. Uh, so that's, that's something I'd love to hear someone smarter than me kind of analyze and break down. The other thing that maybe gives me pause is uh, I've seen some experts say, hey, these are, these are depreciating assets. These are not an investment, right? They do need to have intrinsic or nostalgic value for you somehow. And if that's what people want to spend their money on, by all means, that's awesome, right? Like have a great way to express yourself and it's really meaningful and therefore valuable. Um, don't expect these to have a lot of resale value because you know, the value kind of is derived from that internal feeling someone associates with it. Yeah, and what what I don't know, you bring up a, a good point on the cost of it. Um, you know, Bitcoin for sure uses up an incredible amount of energy. I don't know if because the NFTs are different. Anyway, I just don't know. Um, yeah. We are doing, uh, I am doing a, a talk um, for VidCon now in like the 9th or 10th or whatever of April about NFTs where I'm going to bring in an expert, somebody, a CEO building a new platform and uh, a creator because I do think that you know, when you think about the creator economy and you think about NFTs, it is a way if we figure it out and done right, where creators can drive more value out of the wonderful things they create. Mm -hmm. And so if we can figure that out, I'm all for it. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you want to buy the first version of Mr. Beast's $100,000 ice cream video? You know, somebody will probably pay $100,000 for that. I don't know, sure. but I it's think there's something there. Yeah, exactly. And even, even YouTube, right, uh, recently this month has announced that you can now sell digital goods through Merch Shelf, right? So whereas previously that was just 
physical products. Now, you know, influencers can sell eBooks and courses and all types of content. So I think we're moving more and more in that direction of, of uh, intangible or digital goods. Yeah, I mean, digital goods um, are something that certainly are a great thing. And whether it's, you know, you see inexpensive digital goods on Twitch and other areas that you can use that you can tip and do things. You've got digital goods that show up in video games like that special sword or that special outfit that you buy or, or that you find you know, in a, in a, in a chest somewhere that is hugely valuable. Um, there's already a world where there are digital goods of constrained amount that are worth a lot of money in, in, in digital spaces. So that's nothing new. Uh, it's just coming to the world of online video and creative products here that I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think, you know, gaming is going to be a particularly popular area for NFTs, right? I mean, we had the Roblox direct listing recently, right? We have these virtual worlds being built, you know, on, on the Unreal Engine or happening in, in, you know, Fortnite. I think that's going to continue to grow and, and people are going to want to exchange digital goods and collect them right within these, you know, virtual identities and in-game environments. Exactly. And there, you know, there are a couple of, uh, I don't know if they're N64 cartridges or SNES cartridges or something that, you know, there's only 30 of them made that are worth an inordinate amount of money. Sure. Right. And so that's essentially a digital good wrapped in a physical wrapper. Yeah. What is this, what is the impact going to be on art, right? You know, you've got, you know, the comic strip on your wall, you've got some pieces of art. Um, now we have these digital, you know, you've, you could always have prints, but now you can have digital versions of that. Are they going to live on screens in our houses at some point? What do you think? I don't know. I was, I, I, my uninformed opinion is, is as we start to uh, colonize the metaverse with our own spaces, they'll live there. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, I got my house on the, the Broadway of uh, second life and you walk inside the house and you see my, you know, certified authentic Nyan cat on the wall and I get major cred for that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> maybe not, but you know what I mean? Something sure. along those lines. So as more of our lives move online and the younger you are, the more of your life is online anyway. So you know, if you're on Discord and, you know, instead of your, your Discord being X, you know, maybe your, your Discord uh, is that digital good that only you own. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like how, how you can derive value and specialness with a digital original that it might be NFT backed in as you're instantiated in these virtual environments. That's mm -hmm. why I think it's going to be interesting. Cool. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about the short form video battle, which rages on, right? YouTube Shorts is exploding here in, in the US after its launch. You've got, you know, Spotlight with, uh, from Snapchat, Instagram Reels, right? A number of other upstarts and competitors. What's your take on the short form looping video craze? Um, I don't know, whatever happened to Vine? <laughs> Bring it back, huh? Yeah, uh, well, we've got Byte now, right? And yep. so it's part of Clash. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a format, right? So it's just one of those formats that, you know, people like, people use, people get out there. I'm surprised it took this long for mm -hmm. vertical short videos to go in this direction. But in the end, I don't think the value that TikTok has is short looping videos. I think the value of TikTok is easy to create content and a great interface for exposing that content to people. Mm. So short form looping is only a little part of it. It's really, it's really those two things like that I can create something and post it in, in, in an easy and authentic way. And then I can, I can push that to people in a really intelligent way to give them exactly what they like. I think you, TikTok has nailed content creation better than any other 
platform, right? It is so easy to create something original or to remix something else on TikTok through duets or stitching, right? And now we see other platforms kind of embracing that idea and that remix culture that's native to the internet. I think TikTok just came and, and nailed it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you can put up copies of certain aspects of it, but until you get all of it, which I'm not sure any of these platforms are going to be able to do, they're still just going to be, you know, it's just going to be a thing. Yeah. So does that mean TikTok expands to long form video and maybe photos and other types of format text even? Well, I think TikTok's already doing live and long form. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't know about long form. I, mean, I think we will see more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. There'll be more live. There'll be more long form. Um, and, you know, it'll just be interesting to watch TikTok develop. I think the interesting trend we'll see with TikTok over the next, I don't know, year or so, two years is going to be the graying of TikTok. Hmm. As more so, and more older audiences, yeah, come to the platform. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, I've been, you know, occasionally running into friends of mine. And, you know, one friend of mine is like, it's like, what have you been doing? He's like, eh, you know, not so much. I'm home with my kids, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not really on social anymore, except, and then they'll talk about their newfound love of TikTok. Loves like, TikTok. Yep. 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 Like, I'm spending a lot of time on TikTok. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's, it sucks you in. It does. But increasingly, you know, it's got its own share of challenges. It's banned in India, um, which was, you know, a massive market for, for it. And obviously, second largest country in the world, that's a significant population you're missing out on. And now banned in Pakistan, again, following more accusations from the government that, you know, they don't like the type of content that surfaced on the platform. D what does that mean for the future of the open internet? Are we going to have the Chinese internet and the Indian internet and the Western internet? How do we respond to that? Yeah, I think... Um... I do think we're going to see more and more closed internets around the world, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, we almost had that in Australia where they were working, you know, they were going to ban news and on Facebook and other places. It may have been that Facebook was going to be different here than it is there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think we need a new internet in general. <laughs> <I think laughs> so how do we do that? How do we start over and build from the ground up? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a technologist at that level, but I think yeah. that, you know, when we built a network based on IP where it was all these peers that could connect directly, we did not build security and we didn't build authenticity authentication in, and all those things are starting to come back to us. So is there a new internet out there? I don't know. I think we probably need one, but I'm not sure we're ever going to get one. It's probably going to have to be driven by more legislation because you're right. The internet grew up in this, uh, totally lack of, of rules and context from, uh, from legal standards. And we've tried to adapt a lot of outdated uh, rules and principles to the internet. But the, the real thing is we have to rewrite the rules, right, for an online economy. And, and I think that work is now starting to take shape. Um, I think, you know, we reached a breaking point, uh, you know, this year around January 6th, when, you know, there was a certain reaction in the US, certainly, but in, in Europe, right, a number of uh, governments worried about the power that American executives could have over these really powerful platforms, right? And wondering, okay, is that, could that be taken too far? So I think we're going to see more and more privacy regulation, um, anti antitrust regulation, politics is, is colliding with, with social media and online content in a really meaningful way to rewrite those rules probably for the future. Yeah, and I see more of a move towards private communities, which is both good and scary. You know, it's nice to have a private community because you can control and, you know, if there are trolls on there, you can kick them out and they never come back. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is, you know, if, if we all start putting ourselves into these private communities and it's an echo chamber, it's very difficult, A, if it's protected, it's very difficult for people to figure out what's happening there, which is not necessarily a bad thing. 
but B that it's, it, it, it ruins that discourse and the connection and sharing of different ideas, which, you know, I'm still an idealist. I still think that we can all share different ideas and debate them and discuss them and not worry about, you know, not worry about, um, you know, trolls and people being, you know, bad actors, which by the way, is also one of the things that I think when we talk about um, Fireside and we talk about uh, Clubhouse and we talk about some of these new platforms, we're kind of moving more towards deeper connections with smaller groups of people mm -hmm. rather than the sort of doom scrolling and, uh, you know, having everything be super broad and having everything be like, you know, I, I got, you know, I can like scroll on Facebook or Instagram and see tons of stuff, but I'm not making a deep connection to any of it. Whereas spending an, you know, an hour listening to people chat on, on Fireside or some of these are on, on um, Clubhouse or one of these other platforms, I think is much more, it's a, it's a good and I think a healthy change. But then to your point, you know, then Clubhouse goes, well, well, moderation and hate and all that. And how do you manage that? I have a good answer for any. It's of that, inevitable. But, you have to, yeah. you know, those are the, the natural forces you have to combat on these platforms. And I think you're right. I, this idea of more communities and uh, strong connections between groups is what the original promise of social media was all about. And we're starting to finally get back to it, right? It's not just about broadcast this piece of content to as many people as possible. It's about, okay, I have a shared uh, appreciation for this thing or this connection with between a creator and fan. And you can now express that through well, these communities. And the other thing is, is like the thing with Facebook and these broad social networks is they assume that we're one person, right? We're one thing. And so look, everybody is a collection of different aspects of themselves that don't necessarily need to be shared with everybody else, right? Sure. So, you know, on, on, on LinkedIn, I'm my business person, right? Yep. I'm up there, I'm talking about online video and I'm talking about uh, creator economy and all that stuff. Yeah. But when I go up on that, you know, Discord community for fish, I'm not talking about online video, you know, I'm talking about tweezer and uh, Harry Hood and, uh, you know, how I'm really looking forward to going to, uh, you know, Dick's in Denver over Labor Day, which I'm not going to do that on, on LinkedIn. Sure. But it all ends up, you know, in an all encompassing network, like, like Facebook, it all goes there. And it's like, I don't need that part of me to be on that part of that platform. Not that I want to hide it. It's not really that interesting to a lot of people. Yeah. So Jim, you've been working in the digital media space for, I don't know, how long, right? What do you want your ultimate legacy to be? I don't know. I don't know if I need a legacy. For me personally, I just want to make sure I keep having fun and doing interesting, fun things. And um, I do think, I love that I've played a small part, and I'll continue to, allowing people anywhere around the world who are creative to build an audience and to be creative and to hopefully have a valuable hobby or a valuable life out of that. I think when I got involved in media, if you really wanted a media career, you need to go to New York or LA or London or Sydney, Singapore. Now you can do it from anywhere. Yeah. And creativity, I think as we've learned is evenly distributed around the world. Mm -hmm. There are brilliant creators working in all corners of the earth. That's and the right. fact that they can start creating and build an audience and build a community and find people that like what they do and allow themselves to be themselves and either get great relationships, maybe make money out of it. To me, that is the wonderful aspect of the community-led media world that we're all a part of. And the more that we can enable that and not let that go away, I think is, is 
absolutely a great thing. And we see it with TikTok. We see it with the new platforms coming yeah. up. Anybody who gets on Clubhouse who wants to start talking can start talking. And that's amazing. The gatekeepers are gone, right? And we're helping yeah. to create this world in which anyone can make a living doing what they love. Right. And I think that is, that's the story of what we've been doing over the past 20 years or whatever. Yeah. And I think it's the story that will continue to be really interesting for the next, hopefully, a very long time. Where can people find out more about you and all the amazing things happening with VidCon this year? So just VidCon, just VidCon.com is a good place to go. Um, I spend most of my social energy right now on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So um, if you go to LinkedIn, it's Jay Louderby, which is kind of where I am on Twitter and everywhere else too. But um, if you go there, uh, I've got a newsletter. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can read it there. You can sign up for VidCon.com. I do a weekly newsletter, as you talked about, um, which is great. And uh, But yeah, hang out there. Um, and come see me at VidCon. Like, come to one of our VidCons this year, and um, come over and let's hang out. I'm I'm all over the place at VidCon. So fantastic. Well, Jim, always a pleasure. It's uh, so much fun to get to hang out and talk about all the crazy, awesome, exciting things going on in the world of digital media. So can't wait to do it again soon, and then see you in Anaheim in October. Yeah, five years from now we'll do uh, number three. That's right. <laughs> Looking forward to I it. And I will see you somewhere around the world at a VidCon, Anaheim, and other places very soon. Cannot Perfect. wait. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.